I want to tell you a little bit about my role models. Um, I, I have some pictures up here. I, you know, I grew up in Germany. I grew up loving soccer and playing soccer. And so my early role models were, were soccer players. Have you heard of Karl-Heinz Rummenigge? Anybody? Nobody's heard of Karl-Heinz Rummenigge? Okay, this is him. This is Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, one of my favorite players growing up. He was the first guy I would put posters up of in my room. And, and I would watch his highlights and see what I could learn from him. Um, he was the captain of the German national team. And then... Later on, uh, there was another player, I think the greatest player who ever uh, played, it's Diego Armando Maradona, who uh, my English friend won't like him either. Um, he was incredible on the soccer field. The stuff he could do was just unbelievable. And I would watch and watch those highlights and see if I could duplicate some of the tricks that he could, could do. So he was, he was one of my role models, my heroes. And then I grew into my teenage years. I started getting into, into music and, and like heavy metal music and, and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, I grew up in church, so I, I listened to a lot of Christian metal music. And this is the first band that I was introduced to. And yes, yes, yes. Is that 80s or what? Check it out. Um, so this is Striper, okay? This was kind of the first Christian metal band. And I remember the first time somebody at youth group gave me one of their albums. It was vinyl. And, and this was the picture, I think, on the back of it. And I brought it home. My dad was a lay pastor, all right? So I brought this home, and he was like, what is this? I'm like, oh, dad, it's okay. It's a Christian band. And he fainted. I, I just, I, we had to scrape him off the floor. Uh, striper. Yeah, I'm... The guy second to the left is the drummer, and uh, I just got to say, I'm just glad he's topless because it clarifies uh, a few things. I mean, those guys were makeup and all. Striper, I, I was so into Striper, I became the founder and president of the first German Striper fan club. <laughs> yes. And uh, I... I looked up to them to the degree that well, my hair looked like that, and I wore a lot of yellow and black stuff and really tight jeans. <laughs> anyway, let's, let's get those off. So I matured from there, and uh, thankfully, yes, take them off. Yes, Whew, good. And, you know, as you, as you grow, you, you find role models that, that maybe suit you better. And, and uh, somebody I want to jump to right now. I have, a, I have somebody in my life who's just really influential me, somebody I look up to, somebody I learn from. And I've talked about him before. Here's his picture. This is Mike Manning. Um, he's, he's really uh, just become a, a, a dear friend and mentor to me. When he's been a pastor for many years and it was in politics, he has a wealth of experience and started a ministry here in, in Salt Lake City called Pastor to Pastors. So he ministers to people like me and Dave and others who are in ministry. And, and I can come to him anytime and say, Mike, I struggle with this. Man, this is going on. I just don't know how to deal with this situation. Or, or I'm just, I just want to quit. <laughs> I'm ready to resign. And, and Mike always, it doesn't matter what I come to him with, he always has a story of when he encountered that same struggle or that same doubt or that challenge. And he's got stories you wouldn't believe. He's, he is getting a little older and telling me stories again and again. Uh, but that's okay. Um, Mike, Mike is just, he's a role model to me. He really, I want to be like Mike. <laughs> you know that song? He, he's just a great, great role model for him. But I jumped somebody. I went from when I was 15 to 38. There was somebody in between who was probably the most influential person outside of Jesus, the most influential person in my life, somebody I looked up to and I learned from and who, who really shaped my life. And that is my dad. 
and that's me with those ugly thick glasses. And, uh, and yes, I am wearing um, lederhosen shorts, all right, just so that we make that clear. That's my dad. My dad passed away almost 16 years ago, and I'll talk a little bit about that later. But my dad was, was my, my role model. Just really, he was my dad, so obviously he was my hero. But he, he constantly spoke, spoke love and encouragement and challenge into my life. And more than anything, he loved Jesus with all his heart. And, and his number one encouragement to me in my life was, how are you pursuing Jesus? How are you pursuing Jesus? Really, till the day that he died. And I will come back to him a little bit more. We talked so much about role models this morning because they're very important. And they're actually important in Scripture. The passage that we look at this morning actually encourages us to have role models. It encourages us to look at people who have gone before us. And the, the passage actually says it's essential that we have role model, but it must be the right ones. Especially it must be the right one. And that's what we will look at this morning. Let's have a, let's have a look at this passage, and then I'll, I'll um, set the context for it a little bit. The passage we're talking about is in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I'm really excited about this, this passage this morning, because this passage, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, was the first ever sermon I prepared. I actually call it a sermonette, because it was only 12 minutes long. Uh, it fell a little short. Some of you might be thinking here, oh, that'd be great for today, 12 minutes. But in the first service, I actually went 12 minutes longer than usual. <laughs> so, but I'll try and cut it short. But my first ever message in seminary, in preaching class, was on this passage. And I've always wanted to come back to it and do it uh, hopefully a little more justice. So here's the passage. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray before we dive into that. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your grace, for your love for us. Thank you that we have the freedom and the opportunity to be here together like this this morning and to, to be with each other, to be with you, and to hear from you. And I pray that that would happen this morning, Lord. I pray that you would take me out of the picture, that I would not be a distraction, that I would not share my thoughts on this passage, but that you would speak into our hearts and let us know what this, what this passage means to our lives here and today. So Lord, we want to hear from you. Thank you that you promise to be present and that you promise to, to teach your word to us through your Holy Spirit. May that be true this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So let me quickly tell you the context of this. See, when you read a, a verse in Scripture and it says, therefore, or because of that, that should always tell you something. It means there's something right beforehand that's really important to the understanding of what you're about to read. And this starts out, therefore, that means we've got to look at what's, what's ahead. This whole book, the, the letter to the Hebrews, we actually don't know for sure who wrote it. The author doesn't identify himself as as. as true for all the other most other books and, and letters we know who wrote them for sure i think it's paul just simply because of the consistency with other things that he's written but um the whole letter is written to a congregation of hebrew believers so jews who had accepted jesus as the messiah um 
And the whole letter has the context of calling the people who read this, the recipients at this church, to persevere. There's obviously circumstances in their lives, in their church, maybe in their city, where, they, where there's, there's difficulty, maybe persecution. They, it could be all kinds of circumstances, most likely persecution for their faith, uh, but not necessarily only that. But they, they are probably, it seems like from what we're reading, at the point of giving up, of saying, I can't go on anymore. And the whole letter is in the context of persevering, of saying, keep going, keep going. And the author to, to, to read assure the readers of their faith and what they've been taught and what they have accepted as truth, he tells them, he tells them, Jesus is the Messiah. Look at this. He is the one that was sent to save us. He goes on to, to tell them that Jesus is greater than Moses, who's the greatest prophet in, in Jewish history. He says, Jesus was greater than Moses. Jesus is our high priest, the one who brought us into the presence of God. And even though he's so great, he's the son of God, he's the high priest, he wants to be your friend. This is, this is what he writes about in the passages leading up to this. He reminds them that Jesus brought a new covenant of grace instead of law. And that Jesus shed his blood for their forgiveness and that that forgiveness is everlasting, that it will never change, that it will never end. And then after he reassures them of all these things, he says, now hold on to that and persevere. Don't give up. And he tells them to persevere by doing a couple of things. And one of them is in chapter 11. He tells them and encourages them to persevere by giving them a list of people here in verse 11, and I'll, in chapter 11, and I'll read some of those to you. He says, look at all these people in the history of Israel. All these people who pursued God, who loved him, but they had all kinds of difficult circumstances, but they were faithful to him. And because they were faithful to him, God was faithful to them and used them in spite of circumstances, in spite of mistakes and shortcomings and failures. In chapter 11 of Hebrews, yes, I'm talking fast. I have a lot to say this morning. My wife said after the first service, dude, slow down. <laughs> All right. Chapter 11 is often called the hall of faith. In, in the New Testament, because in it, the writer gives us a list of Old Testament characters and, and praises them for their faith in God and living out that, that faith. And some of the people mentioned there are obvious ones. Noah, you know, the guy who built the ship, the boat, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, uh, and Moses, who led Israel out of, out of Egypt and whom we're going to talk about the next five weeks. He, he also mentions the people of Israel because by faith they left Egypt and went into the desert. He talks about Rahab as a hero of faith. And Rahab was a prostitute in, Jerusalem, in Jericho, but she was faithful to God in protecting Israeli spies. So he, he, he lists, he lists a, a prostitute as one of the heroes of faith. And then it's really interesting to me, the writer then in verse 32 says, you know what, I don't have time to go into all of these. And he just rattles off a few more names, but he says, I don't have time to go into, into all those details. But all these people, he basically says later in that chapter, says they lived by faith. They made a difference. They made a difference for God. They, they overcame kingdoms and, and raised people from the dead and, and lists all these things that God accomplished through these people. And he says, look at them. Look at them and be encouraged. And what I love about that, about that list of people is, that none of them are superhumans. He's telling them, look at these people. And then he lists them. Moses, who in anger killed an Egyptian man. 
Rahab, who was a prostitute. David, who was an adulterer. He lists Gideon, who was full of doubt and constantly wanted God to prove himself to him. And he says, all these people had flaws, significant flaws. And yet they're heroes of faith. You know what I, I believe truly? And this might, might shock you a little bit. You and I, I think, could be in that list. Not because you or I are perfect, but if we hold on to faith and persevere in spite of circumstances and allow God to use us, you and I can be a hero of faith that encourages others who are struggling. Another thing that encourages me in that list, and I hope encourages the readers of this letter, and I hope it encourages you, is we don't have to be perfect <laughs> to be a hero of faith. Failures never disqualify us from following Jesus. Failures never disqualify us from being in a relationship with God and being used by him. So he lists these people and, and what God accomplished through them. And then he goes into this passage that we're looking at today. And he says, therefore, he says, because of this, because of all these people, look at them. He says, now persevere. It says, because of them, now throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before us, uh, before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So he says, look at all these people, and then he says, run. Run this race. And this is why I believe Paul wrote this, because in other letters, Paul uses this analogy and this, this, this illustration of our, of our life as we pursue God with, with a race. He, he often does this. He says, this is a race. And I've recently, in this last year and a half, started, started registering for races, for running and biking and, and small, really small triathlons and stuff. And, and so I've, I've been racing a little. And it's interesting to me that he compares our life with Jesus and pursuing God with a race. Because if, if there's one thing I've learned in the few races that I've done is that every race, without exception, is difficult. In every race, there comes the point where I just want to quit. Well, I say, man, this is, this is, why am I doing this? And I'm paying for this <laughs> every time. And I'm thinking, how much longer is this? And can I make it? Every time. See, I think... I think as a church, we've come to a point in the last decades where, where we sell a brand of Christianity, where we sell Jesus to people by saying, everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be just hunky-dory. Just come to Jesus, and your life's going to be comfortable, and you're going to have everything you need and more, and everything is going to be happy and peaceful. Remember Dave talked about our pursuit of happiness last week? Man, if... I don't know where we get that idea. Does God want to give us joy? Yes. Joy isn't the same as happiness, though. Does he want to give us peace? Yes. Does he want to forgive us lives that are fulfilled in his purpose? Yes. But does he ever promise that to be safe or easy or, or happy? I mean, just, let's just look at the New Testament. Look at, look at Jesus' life. Man, that was a ton of hardship. Look at the disciples. All but one were, were killed for their faith. And, and the rest of, of the New Testament followers of Jesus, it's never promised to be easy. 
there will come points in your pursuit of God, in your walk with him, where you're going to be ready to quit, where, where you feel you don't have any strength to go on, just like the recipients of this letter. It is hard. But there's another thing that I've, I've learned in these races. When I'm in a race, I, I have this single-mindedness. When I'm in it, I'm, I'm focused. And you know what I'm focused on? finishing. I'm not good enough to ever place anywhere. I'm focused on finishing and I'm focused on, on doing the best that I possibly can. That's what I do these races for, to motivate myself so I can say, wow, how good can I do this? How, how good can I be at this? And there is a single-mindedness and a passion in that, in that moment. There's a focus. And I think That, that God gives us these comparisons with, with running a race because those are the, the qualities, I think, that he wants to see in your and my pursuit of him in our life. He wants to see this focus and devotion and single-mindedness as we pursue him in this race of life. I think in this passage here, in these two verses in Romans 12, he gives us three race guidelines. Three guidelines for our race of life as we pursue, pursue God. And the first one I've already touched on, but I want to talk a little bit more on. And that is, first of all, he says, look at who has gone before you. Look at who's gone before you. When he talks about this great cloud of witnesses, he's talking about the people he mentioned in verse 11. He says, we have this great group of people whose lives tell us about God's faithfulness, whose lives tell us about God leading us through difficult times and using us in spite of circumstances and in spite of ourselves. And there's several things that I think we, we have the privilege of doing with people who have gone before us. One is we can learn from them. We can learn from their mistakes and we can learn from what they've done right, more often from their mistakes. And that's what often happens when I get together with Mike and he's actually sitting back there, that Mike shares his experiences with me, that he shares mistakes that he might have made and the consequences he had to suffer so that I don't have to make that same mistake. Things that he has done right, that he has learned, that had help, helped him in his ministry and in his pursuit of Jesus. And I can learn from those. And it just happened yesterday or the day before. So we can learn from each other. We also can be encouraged by each other. Isn't it true that we are drawn to people who, who, who are going through the same difficult things or have gone through the same difficult things as we have? I know, you know I, I lost my dad to a car, car accident about 16 years ago. And just being with other friends, just other friends that came to see me who had also lost their father, it was just, there was just comfort and encouragement in being with each other, knowing you know what I'm going through. There's, there's encouragement in that empathy that we can have for and with each other. And the word witness here is really interesting. He says the, the, the cloud of witnesses, the word used and translated witness here is the same word used for martyrs. It's the same word for, used for people who gave their life for their faith. So what he's saying is here, these people that we're looking at, they were willing, they gave everything. Not necessarily that all of them were martyred, but they gave their life to this pursuit of God. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. And then he calls them and says, so persevere. Persevere. He calls them to perseverance in light of difficult circumstances. And then he says, I know it's going to be hard. 
but see the people who in spite of hardship held on to Jesus and held on to God and followed him and how God used them. So he says, look at who has gone before you. Again, one thing that encourages me as I look at that list of people that he lists in chapter 11, what encourages me is that none of them were, were superhumans. None of them did this. None of them accomplished what they accomplished through their own strength and abilities. All of them had major flaws, just like you and I. They are heroes of faith because they were willing to be used by God and allow him to give them strength to do what he called them to do. And that can be true for you and for me. No matter where you find yourself right now, no matter what circumstance you find yourself right now, if you persevere and pursue God in that, he will lead you through it and he will use you in amazing, in amazing ways and make you a hero of faith to those watching your life. So he says, look back at the people who have gone before you. Secondly, he says, look at what is hindering you. Let me read that again here in, in um, chapter 12. It says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. I think what he's saying here is take a good hard look at your life and look at what is in your life right now that is hindering your total pursuit of, of God. What is in your life right now that is weighing you down? What is in your life that's distracting you from having this single devotion of pursuing God? You know, as I've started running and biking, the more you do it, you know, the better you want to get at it and, and the better equipment you use. My wife is going crazy with, with the things that I think I need for running and biking. You know, and then at some point then you start, when you get new running shoes, you start weighing the shoes. yes. You actually weigh the shoes and see how many grams you can shave off of your... Uh, grams is a metric uh, weight unit. You, have you heard of that, grams? Okay. Anyway, so, so you try and, and just cut out anything that's absolutely unnecessary in terms of weight and something that could drag you down so, so you can be as light and as mean and lean as you can be. I actually, I hate to admit, I have little carbon uh, bottle holders on my bike because they're lighter than metal bottle holders because it makes it faster and lighter carbon baby see we we cut out so in my in my in my athletic pursuits and that's the context he's talking about in my athletic pursuits i try and cut out anything that's unnecessary and what he's calling us to do here is do you have that same passion in your spiritual pursuit of god do I, and I have to ask myself that, do I have the same passion to cut out anything that's unnecessary weight, unnecessary burdens, unnecessary things that, that distract and slow me down from pursuing God? Do I have the same passion about eliminating those as I am about eliminating weight on my bike? And, and the question to you is, do you? You might not be a runner. You might be into other things. But do you and I have this passion of cutting out the things that are unnecessary burdens as we pursue God? And those things might not, might not be bad in themselves. They might not be clearly outside of God's will as he's communicated his will in his word. They might not be the, these clear things. And those might be, might be issues that are right and good for somebody else, but just not right and good for you. So it's, it's, a, little, it's a little tricky. 
It might be, might be things like sport. Could my pursuit of athletics actually be something that slows me down in my devotion to God? It could be relationships that you're in. It's, and relationships are good, right? But could there be a relationship in your life that, that actually hinders you from pursuing God? Somebody who, who encourages you to, to pursue other things other than God. Could it be finances, career, just stuff? Could it be your reputation? Whatever it be, are there things in you and my life that keep us from wholeheartedly and with single devotion pursuing God and running this race, chasing after him? See, that's one thing. What I said earlier with the running the race, you just want to get there. You just want to get there. Do we really want to get to where God wants us to be? Do we really want to get there? And are we doing everything to get there? You know, some of us maybe don't have these things or issues or hobbies that distract us. Maybe it's just that we have accumulated what I would call spiritual fat. And this is not about weight loss. Okay, let me just say that. But have we accumulated spiritual fat? A year and a half ago when I started, felt convicted, man, I got to get in better shape. I, just, I was heavier than I wanted to be. Okay? But you know what led to that? What led to that in my life was comfort and, and just getting complacent. It was more comfortable sitting on the couch and eating a bag of chips while I was watching football. And, and I got to a point where I was not where I wanted to be. But it was comfort and complacency. And I think comfort and complacency leads to spiritual fat in our lives as followers of Jesus. Where well, we've just gotten comfortable. Where well, we are not pursuing him anymore with the passion that we once had. And we need to trim some fat. We need to trim some spiritual fat so that we can, can again engage in this reckless pursuit of God, in this race where we chase after him. And just like with physical fat that we want to cut, spiritual cutting fat means discipline. You know, we, we, it's not about doing, doing, doing to please God. But there is things that God asks us to do in our pursuit of him so that we can enter into a, a more deeper experience of him in our lives. And one of that is that he calls us to discipline in our pursuit of him. Well, we need to get into the spiritual gym and hang out with him and, and, and know his word and read his word and, and allow him to shave off the things that need to be shaved off and that need to go. And sometimes then he, he says there's not just those things that hinder and slow us down. Then there's also the S word, the three-letter S word that we don't like to talk about so much, sin. But God says there, there could be sin in your life that not just slows you down in your pursuit of him, Sin will actually stop us in our tracks of pursuing more closeness and intimacy with him. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus and you sin, by the way, we all do. We all do. Actually, in John it says, if, if, you, if you say there is no sin in your life, then you're a liar, which means you sin. <laughs> so we all sin. Let's just, sin is nothing else but doing something outside of the will of God. That's what it means. You're outside of the will of God, and we all are at times. The problem with sin is God cannot in a relationship with sin now sin will not stop your relationship with him because it is forgiven in jesus but it will stop your continued experience of pursuing intimacy with him 
And so he says, if there is sin in your life, if you are engaging willingly and consciously in, 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 in things that are not of God, he says, they have to be dealt with. What he says, before you and I can go deeper and further together, this has to be dealt with. And that means confession, repentance, and forgiveness. And it's available anytime. And so I just want to encourage you and me to, to take this look at, at our lives and see, okay, God, what is it? What is it in my life right now that's slowing me down, that's distracting me from focus on you? Or is there actually something that's just really stopped me in my tracks? I want that cleared out of the way because I want to pursue you. And I, I encourage you to, to pray and ask God, God, show these things to me. Sometimes we're blind to them. Maybe sometimes somebody close to us has the grace and the, and the boldness to point them out. But l- allow God to point them out to you and let, let him deal with it so that we can continue to run this race without hindrance and without roadblocks. So we need to take a look at those who have gone before us, role models in our lives. We need to take a look at our own stuff in our own lives. And then thirdly in this passage, and most importantly, it tells us, look at Jesus. It says in verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Look at Jesus. You know, in a race, it's really important that you know where you're going. It's really important. I just read about a marathon runner in Japan who 200 feet before the end of the race took a wrong turn and he was in the lead. Well, that didn't work out so well for him. You've got to know where you're going. You know, when I do triathlons, the most challenging thing is the swimming because your, water is in the wa- your he- head is in the water. <laughs> and you're like, okay, where am I going? <laughs> and so you have to, once in a while, I at least have to stop, look, oh, I'm going that way. The, the boo is that way. Course correction. And go, you got to know where you're going, right? And the same is true for us spiritually. Actually, it's true for, for any time we have a destination that we want to get to. You have to know where you're going to arrive at your, at your desired destination. So what it's telling us here is look at Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he is, it says, the author and perfecter of our faith. It says he, he has, he's the author. He has, he has plotted your course. He's the author of your race. He has a plan for you. He knows where you need to go. Follow him. And he's the perfecter. He's the one who's already done it perfectly. He's our ultimate role model. He's the one that we want to pursue and learn from. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I think it's so important because when we have our eyes on the goal, it puts all the circumstances into perspective. And that's when I do when I'm in a race and the circumstances seem I'm thirsty, I'm tired, I can't do this anymore, it's hot. You know what I envision? The finish line. I envision the finish line. He says, no, I'm going to get there. And it puts the distractions out of focus. That's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus because looking at him will put the circumstances into perspective and out of focus. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. Now, how do we do that? We don't have the benefit the disciples had of actually seeing him and actually following him and seeing what he did. No, we have God's word. Fixing eyes on Jesus doesn't mean you have to carry around a crucifix with you and, and stare at it when, whenever you, you think of it. Now, if, if that helps you, go ahead. 
But there are several ways that Scripture tells us that we can engage in to, to keep our eyes on him, to keep our eyes on the prize, to keep our eyes on him and allowing him to lead us. And one of them is prayer. Now, prayer, I think, is often misunderstood and, and not exercised to its full potential. So often, prayer, and, and I'm guilty of this, prayer becomes a list of requests, a, a list of to-dos that I just got to rattle off and get, get over with. But prayer really in, in Scripture is, is communication. And communication is never one, one-sided or just one-directional. Communication is talking and listening, giving and receiving. It's a, it's a, it's a, a, a conversation. And in the Old Testament, we see that all the time. Moses actually talking with God, Abraham talking with God. Paul talks about God telling him this and that. And, and that's what prayer is. It's not something you do uh, from, from 6 to 6.30 on your knees uh, rattling down a list. Prayer is what we do throughout the day as we interact with God and talk to him, share with him what's on our heart and how we see the circumstances and say, God, speak into this and allowing him to shift our focus. It's conversation. Proverbs 3.5 says, to me it's a great picture of, of prayer actually. It says, in all your ways, Acknowledge him, acknowledge God, and he will make your path straight. In all your ways, acknowledge him. What that means to me is in all circumstances, whether good or bad, bring him in. Acknowledging him, that word acknowledge him means just have him seep into every circumstance of your life. Allow him to speak into it, and as we do that, he will direct our paths. That's a promise. That's how we focus our eyes on Jesus is by acknowledging him, having him involved in every aspect and circumstance of our lives, and he will lead us. So in prayer, another way to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus is in his word, is, is taking this, taking the Bible, which is God's word for you and for me, and knowing him through it better and better, allowing him to speak into our lives through it learning about him and from him. You know, and and sometimes things help us to do that. Remember those WWJD bracelets? Remember those? Those were the fad like 15 years ago. Remember those? And uh, what it stood for, right, was what would Jesus do? I actually, I I like those, but I think they should have had on them WWJHMD. I know it doesn't roll off the tongue uh, as WWJD, but what it would have said is, what would Jesus have me do? See, the danger with the what would Jesus do is that we just imitate his life. And Jesus did not want you and me to just imitate his life. He wanted us to have his life so that we can follow him in his strength. And then we can ask, okay, Jesus, I don't want to just imitate what you would do. What would you have me do? And lead me in that and give me the strength to do that. So we fix our eyes on Jesus in, in, in prayer, in communication with him through his word where he tells us and gives us direction. And then lastly, we do that, I think, in relationship with each other. See, God has given you and me to each other to, to help encourage each other, to run together, to pursue him together and challenge each other, speak into each other's lives, learn from each other. And part of this, this running together, part of this pursuing God is looking forward to his rewards, looking forward. Like I, I look forward to the finish line. God wants you and me to look forward to that finish line. 
it says here about Jesus. You know how Jesus made it through those last days of his life? How he made it through that hardship and that torture? It said here, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He endured the most horrible circumstances because of the joy set before him, because of the finish line. Because he knew, I will be with my father and I will, I will accomplish what he sent me to accomplish. And you and I are encouraged to do the same thing. We're encouraged to look forward to the reward that he will have for you and for me. There is a reward for faithfully following Jesus. Let's have a quick look at Hebrews chapter 11, the, verse, the chapter before it, verse 6. It says, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. He rewards those who earnestly run after him, who earnestly fix their eyes on Jesus. There's a reward for running this race. And in this race, it's not about placing. It's never with running this race to pursue God is never about placing because placing is always comparison to others. Running after God is never comparing yourself to somebody else. It's about running your course that Jesus has plotted for you. And you be faithful to the race that he calls you to run. So that at the finish, God will look at you and he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Do you know one thing that's true about this race that God calls us to run? We don't actually know where the finish line is, which would kill me in a race. <laughs> but we don't actually know where the finish, we know what it will look like somewhat. We know we're running after Jesus, but we don't know when it comes. He does. And I told you about my dad early on and his finish line came very, very suddenly and unexpected. He was 48. Him and my mom were on a road trip to take my sister, my youngest sister, to a, a summer camp in Austria. And they were driving back from Austria on the, on the Autobahn when they had a fatal car accident. My dad passed away that night, very, very suddenly. What's really interesting is that leading up to that, in the couple of weeks before he passed away, he, he had his insurance agent come in and assess everything that he owned in his business. And he set my mom down and said, if something ever happens to me, this is where you find the papers and the life insurance. And, and my mom said, I don't even want to hear about this. And he, he also told her, if, some, if something ever happens to me, I want you to give Christian, I'm one of three sons, I want you to give Christian all my sermon notes. My father was a lay pastor too, and he, that was before computers really, and, and he had all these handwritten notes. He didn't have a snazzy iPad to preach from. So he had a whole bookshelf full of these little black folders with sermons in them. And I couldn't even touch those early on after he passed away. I just wasn't thinking about it. I was preparing to go to Bible college. He passed away two days before I was supposed to fly to South Carolina to start college. And so I stayed on, stayed home, of course, for another six months. And then two days before I then went to South Carolina, I was sitting in our living room with my mom and, you know, saying our goodbyes. And, and I looked at all those notebooks that my dad had, had put his sermon notes in. And I picked out the last one. They were in chronological order of the sermons he had given. I picked out the last one and was surprised to find that it wasn't sermon notes, but it was the New Testament written in his own handwriting. 
And he had gone all the way from Matthew to Timothy already, and it was dated, the dates that he wrote. And I said, Mom, what is this? He, did he rewrite the Bible? <laughs> and she said, no, he didn't know this for years. In his time with Jesus in the morning, he, he started at some point because he wanted to bring God's word more into his life and heart. And you know how you, in, you, you internalize things better that you've written than just read. And so she said, he started just copying down and just chronologically going through scripture. And so instinctively, I went to the last page, and it was dated from uh, the day before the accident happened, the day before he passed away. And in light of, you know, the things he had done with the insurance, and, and so it was just really odd. But this is, this is what he had written on the, last, on the day before he, he went to see Jesus. It was Timothy chapter 4, and in Timothy chapter 4, Paul is writing to his prodigy, Timothy, Timothy, who he had prepared to, to go into ministry. And this is, what he, this is his charge to Timothy. Sorry. This is what it says, Timothy 4, verses 5 to 7. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. And when I read that, I was like, are you kidding me? This is how God orchestrated for him to write that and to study that the day before he went to be with him. And I just can't think of, can't help but think of God's grace preparing my dad for that. But you know, more than anything, I walked away with the confidence knowing, yes, as Paul, my dad, had run the race, he had been faithful. He had run this race of pursuing God. Had he made mistakes? Of course. <laughs> But he had run the race, and at that point when I read it, he had finished it, and he had received the reward that God promised us. And he's promising the same reward to you and to me if we're pursuing him, if we are running after him in our lives with all the mistakes and shortcomings that we have and that come with that. And so I just want to encourage you, and I want to ask the band to come up, with this verse, I want to encourage you with the words that, that this author wrote to the church of the Hebrews. They were, I don't know what your circumstances are this morning. I don't know if you are at a situation in life or in your faith where you are just worn out and you don't know if you can go on, if you can take one step, let alone race. I just want to encourage you, look at those who've gone before you. Look at others who have gone through the things you're going through. And be encouraged by seeing God's faithfulness in their lives. And I want to encourage all of us to find these people among us. There's people here that you can learn from. People whose experiences you can learn from and be encouraged by. And people can be encouraged and learn from your experiences. Let's run this race together. This race is never meant to be run alone. Let's run this race together, no matter what circumstances you find yourselves in. And maybe you're here this morning and you're running hard, you're juiced up and you're pursuing Jesus. Great, then encourage others along the way. Let's look at who's gone before us. 
Let's learn from each other. Let's encourage each other. Let's take a good look at our lives. Let's look at and ask God, what is there that needs to go? What is there that needs to be shaved off so that I can better and leaner and meaner pursue you? And then most of all, in all of that, let's, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and let's help each other in doing that. And now we can do that right now by coming before him and worshiping him together.